0: Alas, said I, how can I frame my heavy heart to sing or tune my mind while thus enthralled by such a wicked thing?
1: These are Flash Readings by the Briton Fellows at Georgia Tech. The subject. I'm Caitlin Kelly. I'm a Briton Fellow in the Writing and Communication Program at Georgia Tech. And I study literature and culture of the long 18th century in Britain the very long 18th century. The very, very long 18th century. What does that mean to you? Well, I mean, we can talk about the 18th century as literally being the 1700s, but the culture doesn't stick to actual years. You know, 1699 is not that much different from 1700. So I describe it as the very, very long 18th century because what my work does is trace trends in the rise of the novel from 1700 and arguably before well into the 19th century. I'm actually really interested in the way that the 18th century novel becomes the 19th century novel. The object. You are writing about a very specific moment of devotional practice in Pamela. So you want to set right. it up? It was a common practice for people to copy, say, poems that they ran into that they liked into their letters. And then Mm -hmm. they'd send that. So you would know what poems they're reading or what they're thinking about at the moment. And Pamela does this all the time. She's always copying things into her letters. But a lot of what she copies are actually scriptural texts or other devotional texts. And I'm looking at one specifically, which is the 137th Psalm, which is about the Babylonian captivity. I should back up and tell you some about the plot. Yes. Pamela, the title character, is a teenage servant girl. Her mistress has died and now she is in the employ of her mistress's son, Mr. B, who's your classic libertine figure. She's defending her honor and her virtue against the rakish Mr. B. And it gets to the point where he's controlling her physically by keeping her captive in his home. She's under surveillance by Mrs. Jukes, the housekeeper. She's not even allowed to go to church, which for moral virtuous Pamela, this is a problem. So she spends a lot of her time in devotion, and we actually don't see those moments of devotion a lot. What we see Mm -hmm. are the products of it. So Mm -hmm. her revision of Psalm 137, which she adapts to fit her specific case, and she allies herself with the Israelites in captivity. Take the first stanza. The scriptural version is this. When we did sit in Babylon, the rivers round about, then in remembrance of Sion, the tears for grief burst out. When Pamela revises this, you can notice she really makes this about herself. When sad I sat in Brandon Hall, all watched round about, and thought of every absent friend, the tears for grief burst out. So she's keeping some of the original language, but it's no longer the story of a community of people, it's Mm. the story of Pamela specifically. The logic. Pamela's virtue comes from the fact that she sort of suffers quietly all of her writing and her letters, it's meant to be conveyed to her parents. She has no intention of anyone else knowing. And so the first instance of the psalm is her revising this in the privacy of her room. The only reason we see it is because Richardson thinks she's such a good role model that he's gonna share it. The second appearance of the psalm, and this is what makes it one of the most important texts copied into her letter, is it appears twice. And that's not true of any other text in the novel. So the mm-hmm. fact that something shows up twice I can't help but think that that was purposeful in a way that we haven't considered yet. When it comes back, it comes back in a public reading. And what's happened is by this point, Mr. B and Pamela are going to marry. They've reconciled and they're gathered for a meal on a Sunday and her Mm -hmm. father's there and some family friends. And her devotional practices come up in conversation. And Mr. B decides, let's just read them, because everyone needs to see how virtuous she is. And so he and Parson Williams get up and do this sort of comparative reading. Pamela begs him not to read it. She sees it as appropriate in her devotional time and space, but Mm -hmm. to move it into this public forum goes against everything she believes is being virtuous. And so we have this public performance But Mm -hmm. afterwards, everyone praises her for it. And she sort of, you know, praises specifically the adaptation, praises her adaptation of it. Mr. Williams reads the scriptural version, which is in keeping with his role as a clergyman. Mm -hmm. And then Mr. B reads Pamela's and comments on them. And that way, too, I think there's something to be said here. It's something I'm exploring in my article is that this places Mr. B in sort of this pastoral role where he becomes equal to the preacher and. Pamela's text becomes equal to the scripture in this way that is actually pretty transgressive. That, I think, is where the performance is particularly relevant to audiences today. Mm -hmm. Because she says, please don't read this, and he says, I'm gonna read it anyway. He has Um, all the power. He has all the power, and there's nothing she can do about it, and then she marries him. The reading of the psalm becomes, it's a violent moment in some Mm -hmm. ways.
0: When sad I sat in Brandon Hall, All watched round about, and thought of every absent friend, The tears for grief burst out. My joys and hopes all overthrown, My heart-strings almost broke, Unfit my mind for melody, much more to bear a joke. Then she, to whom I prisoner was, Said to me tauntingly, Now cheer your heart, and sing a song, And tune your mind to joy. Alas, said I, how can I frame my heavy heart to sing? or tune my mind while thus enthralled by such a wicked thing. But yet, if from my innocence I even in thought should slide, then let my fingers quite forget the sweet spinet to guide, and let my tongue within my mouth be locked for ever fast, if I rejoice before I see my full deliverance past. And Thou, Almighty, recompense the evils I endure from those who seek my sad disgrace so causeless to procure. Remember, Lord, this Mrs. Jukes, when with a mighty sound she cries down with her chastity, down to the very ground. Even so shalt thou, O wicked one, at length to shame be brought, and happy shall all those be called that my deliverance wrought. Yea, blessed shall the man be called that shames thee of thy evil, and saves me from thy vile attempts, and thee, too, from the devil.
1: THE PROJECT I'm really interested in the relationship between Pamela the novel in the new emerging literary marketplace and these moments of private devotion. I'm reading this psalm in the context of the promotion of Pamela actually in churches. There's at least one instance on record that we get through Richardson's correspondence where the novel was promoted from the pulpit. I mean, can you imagine like what fictional text today would be praised and promoted presumably during a sermon. One of the things that we don't do as scholars enough of is read as believers. It's easy for us to read this and see there's this false claim of these letters being real, of course it's fiction, of course it's a novel. I can't tell you how many times I've been told, but you know it's not real, right? (laughs) But I think the point is that it was meant to be read as if it's real. The Psalm itself and my reading of the Psalm is, is really within that context of Pamela as this media event, as this cultural phenomenon, Mm -hmm. um, and all the questions that it raised for people about how do we know when an individual is being sincere or authentic, right? How do we trust someone and their private devotions? And in fact, should we trust something that someone does in private? (laughs) where to check it out. Good starting point would be William Warner's Licensing Entertainment and Thomas Keemer and Peter Saber's Pamela in the Marketplace. Those two books are great entry points for starting to think about the sort of intellectual games that Richardson is giving us. Have you ever read Joan Scott's The Evidence of Experience? I haven't, but that sounds like something I need to do immediately. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. And, but that's something, too, that we often don't give a lot of credit to individual experience as evidence. But Certainly the 18th century, in the case of abused relig- women, <laughs> abused women and religious practice, religious believers and women, their experience is constantly being undermined and right. questioned. And that's really the crux of what you're talking about. right? And that's the larger stakes of any time we look for moments of religious practice, particularly private religious practice mm-hmm. in the 18th century novel. If we do decide that her experience is worth taking seriously and should be taken seriously, we have to reread this performance of her private devotional work. Thanks to John Cochin for voicing Pamela song. My name, my name is Laura Neef. <laughs> my name is Laura Neef. Thanks for listening.
0: My name is my name.